Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Jessica Epley, VP of Regulatory and External Affairs for Ziply Fiber. We discuss how the company's build-out strategy is helping it tackle the digital divide, how Ziply is preparing for bead funding and the competition it'll bring, and why Jessica thinks we need to streamline permitting for micro-trenching technology. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So to kick things off, um, for anyone who's not familiar with Ziply, tell me a bit about the company and uh, its network upgrade plans and, and maybe a bit about the progress so far. So Ziply is, you know, it's kind of a, a unique story. Um, in 2020, Ziply acquired the assets of Frontier Communications in the Northwest uh, states of Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and Washington. And we really set out with a very unique mission in mind. We wanted to take this, you know, copper heavy network and see what happens when we focus on deploying fiber optics throughout uh, at least 80% of it across those four states, investing $500 million of our own money to make that upgrade happen. Of course, the timing of that couldn't have been uh, more unforeseen. It, you know, starting a company at the beginning of a pandemic, right? We literally have yeah. never worked together in an office. In fact, I'm going to my first department meeting where I will see all of my colleagues in person for the first time in a week, which is oh my crazy God, to me huge. after two and a half years. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, it's been such a journey, right? Standing up a company, learning how to take you know something that was a big part of a or part of a big uh, corporate conglomerate, right? And and really carving out this very customer-focused, refreshingly great experience company, uh, you know, and, and how do we do that? Um, it's It's been a journey, let me tell you. <laughs> um, everything from um, learning how to work from remote locations with one another to learning how to take this network and really infuse it with a future-proof plan, um, beginning with just taking our core network and and making it all make sense as we're linking all of our central offices together, and then taking that experience out into the communities that we serve. It has been an amazing opportunity to, and, and frankly, um, the number of fiber locations that we've been able to turn up given labor shortages, material shortages, you know, just incredible delays you know, hundreds of thousands of locations in two and a half years. Um, really, we're on the path to being well on our way to that 80% within the next five years. Um, how have you been able to stay on top of some of those challenges that all the ISPs are dealing with, with uh, shortages and all that? You know, Nicole, I, I have to say, we have some really smart people in our leadership team. And not necessarily that they foresaw the challenges that the pandemic was gonna cause, because frankly, none of us could see that. But you know, knowing that they were taking on this opportunity, they, uh, the team began purchasing materials almost a year before we started, right? So we had that opportunity to really kind of stockpile materials and we've kept our ordering such that we would be a year or six months in advance. And it, it's really meant that number one, um, our vendors know that you know we're coming back for more and we've been consistently coming back for more and our orders are getting bigger and bigger. But that has allowed us to plan and really be addressing these opportunities as they come up and not missing them because we don't have the right supply to fill them. 
Got it. So um, you guys also participated in the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, um, right? So can you tell me a bit about where those build outs are? Um, Why did you choose those areas? And, and uh, you know, obviously these are rural areas. They're challenging to build out to. I'd love to hear about some of the challenges from your perspective. Well, let's begin with Zipley's footprint is rural, right? I mean, when you look at really where we serve, we don't serve the big cities. We're really focused on on the small towns and communities throughout those four states. And so when we were uh, evaluating our opportunities with RDOF, we focused on areas that were, you know, definitely in need of being upgraded, were within our footprint, and were you know parts of our network that we knew we could complete within the given time frame, right? Uh, in some cases, we used logic such as you know we know we're going to be building in an, ad- an adjacent area, so we're going to look to the next town over that perhaps qualifies under RDOF, and we'll bid for that. Uh, you know, frankly, there were some areas within our footprint that we didn't build, bid because we knew that if we took on too many projects in this program, we wouldn't be able to complete them all in time. And that's, you know, not what anybody wants um, and certainly is not allowed under the program. So um, RDOF, you know, is, is now underway. We, we became authorized this year um, in March and we're finishing up our planning process now. We expect to begin some of those builds uh, within the beginning of 2023, but frankly, because of just some good planning, we've already identified some locations that we should be able to complete perhaps by the end of the year. Ooh, that's exciting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So RDOF is one big pile of federal funds. Another big pile of federal funds that's still to come is the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, or BEAD, as everyone knows it. Uh, It's $42.45 billion, which some people choose to shorten to 42.5, but I insist on including that four for some reason. Anyway, how is Zipley Zipley preparing for that funding? And I wonder if you can comment a little bit on how you think of competition entering uh, some of these areas that you're already in through this funding process, since a lot of the funding is going to be left up to state grants. There's encouragement for open access networks, municipal networks, all of that. Um, so I just love to hear all your bead thoughts. Wow, that's <laughs> a lot to unpack, Nicole. Okay. Yes. So you know, kind of at a macro level, um, yeah. like bead is really targeting um, the underserved and unserved. And that definition, um, you know, we think of it as 100 symmetrical or less. Um, some states are talking about it as 100 over 20, and of course, states have some flexibility with BEAT and how they're going to deploy those funds. And those programs that this, each state is going to create are very much so in the early stages right now. So we don't know exactly what it's going to mean to be a target or a, an eligible location, coupled with, of course, um, our are waiting for the FCC maps to come out that is gonna help us to inform as to whether a location would be considered served or unserved. Um, So kind of at the macro level addressing competition, Uh, these locations currently are unserved, right? And um, if they're within the Zipley footprint, we would love to be the ones to serve them. But again, we're a relatively small company, 1400 employees in four states, you know? We, We have to be really mindful about what we can reasonably accomplish and make sure that we're staying true to the customers we already serve today, right? And, and we're providing them with the best opportunity possible. Um, so, you know, is it possible that competitors will receive public funds to overbuild our network? It's possible. We're going to try really hard not to let that happen because obviously we, we already have a network and 
beginning with a network, even if it's a copper-based network and converting that to a fiber-based network, the cost of that is incremental to the cost of building a brand new network from scratch that a new company would need to come in and do. And so, you know, one of the big focuses of BEAD is ensuring that we're not A, overbuilding other public funded projects, and B, that we're being really good stewards of that public funding. So Zipply being focused on, on those two goals in all of our civic partnerships programs really do see this as a great opportunity for us to expand those relationships. So how we're preparing. Um, oh gosh. You know, every day we're waiting for the new fabric maps to come out so we can rerun our modeling to see what is going to be potentially in that pot and, and start to figure out, can we slice and dice those opportunities into meaningful groupings? Because we are going to need a public partner, right? The way that all of these funds are being allocated, there's going to need to be a partnership between cities and counties and Zipley, um, or, or even, you know, communities, as the case may be, depending upon whether or not they can issue a, a grant or they can support grant administration, right? There's a lot of unknown factors here. But we're really looking at within our footprint, what meets the definition today using the 477 data that we have available and expect that, you know, hey, when the fabric data comes out, maybe that number is going to grow quite a bit. I hope so anyway. Um, not that I hope for people to be unsure. We know that they are anyway. Yes, so yes. yes. And they, I, you know, just being able to acknowledge that I think is yeah. going to be a huge step forward. And then we can start to, now that we've defined the problem, we can start to solve the problem. Um, it's not going to be one company and it's not going to be one partner, right? Uh, this is a huge problem. It, it's, you know, tens of thousands of locations by state. It's going to take creativity of private companies and of public entities and how we come together. Uh, I love the open access question. This is, I, I don't know how often in a week I get to talk about it. It's amazing to me how much conversation. This just means competition, people. Like, it's just yeah. a parody for competition. It's not some secret sauce. It doesn't mean that the... The public agency has to own and operate the network. It just means that that asset that's being built with public funds is accessible to other people, right? So Zipply actively uh, has resellers on our network today that that can come in and you know for a particular price, depending on the service that they want to sell, they can resell like they built that network and are operating it, and they only have the costs of billing and and customer service, right? So it really helps to promote that small business opportunity that really we saw happen back in 1996, right? When, when telecommunications companies began having to give access to their network, you saw a ton of telephone companies crop up, these small mom and pop shops, right? It's kind of the broadband version of that happening all over again, which is really exciting. Um, I, you know, it's going to be a lot of work and it's not going to happen all at once, right? That, I think the one message that I try to deliver over and over again, don't expect for this to like next year, all this money is available. And then, you know, we're going to do one massive application and, and go. Number one, the state broadband offices cannot handle that kind of volume. And number two, the companies can't answer it. So, you know, it's going to likely be doled out, I would expect, in, you know, three to four to five different waves. And that's going to give us an opportunity to kind of retune those available relationships and the available opportunity set. 
So since you mentioned the state broadband offices, um, I wanted to ask you about your relationships with them and how much they factor into your, you know, your day to day or really what you're doing. So much of what you're talking about requires a good relationship, I think, with these offices and with the legislators who are writing a lot of these rules that they largely don't understand. Um, so <laughs> uh, you didn't say that I did. Um, so, <laughs> so I just wanted to hear about how you think about those relationships with state broadband offices and, and how you're positioning, you know, Zipply to form better relationships with them. State broadband offices for a an internet service provider or anybody in the broadband business is very akin to the relationship that a telephone company has to have with with its public utilities commission, right? Um, we live in both worlds. <laughs> so uh, I my state commission partners are as important to me as my state broadband office partners. I feel bad for my state broadband office partners. These are incredible, incredible people that, are trying to tackle a problem that we as a country are coalescing around and the pressure's really on for them. Um, Mark Visconti in Washington state, right? Just stepping into a role, trying to unpack all of the different opportunities that are happening in his state simultaneously and, and moving the ball forward, right? Just yeah. still every day focusing on how do we get more broadband out throughout the state. Um, Daniel Holbrook in Oregon, such an incredible partner, right? Really working hard to make sure that we're crossing all of the T's and dotting all of the I's on all of our applications and opportunities while setting up some infrastructure in his own office. Um, it was it was a loss to lose Eric Forsh in Idaho, but to NTIA, you know, you couldn't find a better person to help Idaho and Oregon. Somebody who really knows what's going on, he's gonna be an incredible resource for all of us. Yeah. Um, and Ramon, having just been appointed in Idaho, right, he's going to step into this and really figure it out. So, yeah. you know, uh, we're waiting to hear what's going to happen in Montana with Chad Roop uh, going on to bigger and better things in California. These these are my friends. I mean, I hate to say it, but for as much as they are a resource to me and I'm a resource to them, I really admire them for what they do. I, I think that they've taken on a job that's hard and there's not many people in this country that would put themselves through that. So they... Yeah. You know, they're great people. Beautifully said. Um, so speaking of those legislators I mentioned who don't understand uh, broadband technology or, you know, other technology. Um, no, some of them do. Some of them are really good at it. I've <laughs> I've talked to two local state legislators on this podcast who somewhat knew what they were talking about. Um, so we'll give it to them too. Uh, but anyway, if I could complete a thought, um, I'm wondering from your perspective, uh, what are some local policies that make it easier and or harder for companies like Zipply to reach people uh, who are unserved and underserved? Oh my gosh, permits, 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 right? And franchise agreements, franchise agreements and permits. That is the world <laughs> in which I live in. Um, God. You know, it is it is crazy to me that we talk about broadband deployment being uh, the number one public policy that we have before us and our number one opportunity. We put all this funding behind it and we make it as hard as hell as it could possibly be to try and get this funding out the door because every city does it differently, right? Every city has different requirements about where you can put your infrastructure. You know, can you use micro trenching? This is 
to me, this is like the biggest aha moment we have for why microtrenching makes sense. Do we need to go down 36 inches for a fiber optic line that we know is not going to be in conflict with anything else? Or can we get away with using a machine that allows us to lay, you know, 2,500 feet of fiber optics in a single day that's drivable over the entire time for a fraction of the cost? Why? Why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we come to an agreement on the basic framework of permit applications for a broadband project, right? And then pole attachments is a whole nother segment of problems that's mostly self-inflicted by the utility. <laughs> but, but all these things come together in it just slows down the progress that otherwise we would be making because right. Frankly, if we can figure out how to streamline permitting and allow micro-trenching ubiquitously, we'll be able to meet this opportunity by 2026. If we don't, I don't know if we can. And what is the local pushback or uh, opposition to micro-trenching? Mm. Overall, I think it's a lack of understanding. And so Zipley's done a, a great job. My, my partners within my construction and engineering team have done a fantastic job of arming me with lots and lots of pictures and information about, you know, even even the type of um, topping that you put on, you know, for lack of a better term, it's not asphalt. It, it's a, a mastic caulk that allows for shrinkage and expansion of that joint without disturbing the road surface on either side of it, right? So when you look at these patches five years later, they look better than the road next to them. I mean, what? Why wouldn't we do this? <laughs> right. I, I look at that, I think, gosh, there's so many places. I I live in Portland. There's so many places where I wish they would have micro-trenched because right. the potholes, my car is going to disappear. In. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, interesting. So I'll, I got one more question for you, and then I'll let you get back to solving the digital divide. Um, <laughs> the Affordable Connectivity Program, the FCC's uh, subsidy program um, is the newer version of the emergency broadband benefit, which came out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so anyway, Zipley's participation in that, I'd love to know uh, how you guys are doing. How are you promoting this program? Uh, do you have a sense of how many customers are using it? Um, just to add a little more preamble here, uh, the program has gotten some pushback in that uh, it has it doesn't isn't necessarily being advertised well enough to reach the number of people it could reach. However, uh, also there was a report out recently that there's been some fraud with the program. Um, but more, most importantly, I think it's going to run out of funding in a couple of years if we don't get to that. So um, those are all my thoughts on it. How's it going from Zipley's perspective? Um, and what are your thoughts on how it's going um, overall? Nicole, you're exactly right. This was one-time money. That's what that, everyone says. <laughs> this was one-time funding that we popped into a bucket that doesn't get replenished. So, right. you know, Zipley's doing a lot of work on the accessibility side of the coin. We're also working really hard on the affordability side of the coin. ACP, huge program, very important. Only one avenue for addressing affordability. As a, an eligible telecommunications carrier, we actually offer the Federal Lifeline Program, which is a $9.25 subsidy, mm -hmm. in the state of Oregon, which is the only state that allows for their telephone assistance program to be spent on broadband services, that's a $10 subsidy. And then you have the ACP program, which is a $30 subsidy. Federal Lifeline and the state telephone assistance program, those come off first on, on a subscriber's bill before the ACP. So 
I like to say that Zipply Fiber is really being a good steward of the ACP program and trying to maximize the lifetime of that program overall. That said, it's it's a challenge, right? We are trying to identify folks that in some cases don't want to be identified as eligible for these programs, right? It has a certain connotation uh, associated with it that makes people feel uncomfortable. And um, as a provider, you know, life is hard. There's a lot of things that cost a lot more money today than they did even a year ago. This is one opportunity that we can make a difference in their family's budget, right? And and maybe provide them with some opportunities to spend their money on things they want to rather than their broadband services. Um, We're translating uh, our marketing materials into Spanish. This is, you know, kind of groundbreaking considering that some of the areas that we serve are are very heavily populated um, by the Latinx community. you know, so being able to reach them in a language that makes sense and being culturally aware of how to have that messaging has been a big focus for us. Um, we've written letters to the editor across our footprint talking mm-hmm. about how, you know, Zipply does provide the ACP program. One of the things um, our products team came up with early on was how do we have a program that as an ACP subscriber would cost you nothing? Um, so we did. We we have a 200 by 200 megabit service with a free router that an ACP subscriber gets for free. Um, right? What better way to maybe maximize some of those family resources than to yeah. take advantage of that program? We have thousands of customers, but the opportunity is thousands more. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get there? I don't know. You have any ideas? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Are you, is working with local community groups on the ground in the serviced areas you cover, is that part of your process or did they work separately in trying to enroll people? It's kind of, it, it's inconsistent from location to location, right? I shouldn't say inconsistent in a negative way. It's just very community specific. In some cases, sure. yes, there are community groups that we reach out to. I see the state broadband offices and frankly, the state utility commissions. Um, issuing advisories about participation in these programs. Um, you know, how do we get the message out there? I, I wish there was an easy way to connect students and families who are qualified to just a list of services that make sense to them. I think that's a, a lot of the confusion, especially when I look through the various ways that you have to apply for these programs, right? There's not one application that qualifies you for everything. Like, Federal Lifeline has a separate application from ACP, from a state telephone assistance program, right? So that's an area really as an industry we could grow a lot is to develop some sort of a streamlined application in conjunction with the FCC. Um, Using the National Verifier has been, you know, going way back a few years now to really how that revolutionized the Federal Lifeline program. Yeah. But it's not consistently deployed across all states. So that, that also creates challenges and barriers yeah. for folks who otherwise would be involved. It is, it is a challenge. Um, you and I could probably spend the rest of the day talking about different ways to to tackle it, but I won't do that to you or the listeners. And frankly, if we fix it too fast, it's going to run out of funding even sooner. So we need to get that part nailed down too. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to keeping up with what you all are doing at Zipply across the country. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you again, Jessica, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.